0: How would you like to ramp up your club's game day atmosphere? Big Screen Video is giving 10 lucky sports clubs the chance to win a $10,000 grant towards their own digital scoreboard. Register now at iCanWin.com.au slash BSV.
1: For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who
2: are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com.
3: From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
1: Morena, New Zealand, good morning to you on this uh, Friday, the Friday before the second test between uh, uh, the All Blacks, of course, and Ireland. There's one in Australia too, Australia uh, against England. That'll be a, a heated occasion too. Uh, we're going to talk a bit of rugby first up this morning with Patrick McKendry. Patrick, of course, the senior sports writer for One News Digital. Uh, with his opinion on the the two lineups actually um that'll be interesting we're going to have a talk back segment for you people at home just after 9:32 uh, and uh, we'll have a chemist warehouse voucher for 50 bucks up for grabs so uh, we'll come up with some uh, topics to talk about uh, certainly the test match, your predictions for, this, uh, for the score etc uh, the, the naming of the two sides uh, since uh, we last spoke uh, yesterday so uh, Mark McGowan uh, after 10 o'clock, now Mark is a News Corp Australia tennis reporter all sorts of stuff happening at Wimbledon to talk about including Nick Kerrios with a free pass straight through to the final now after the withdrawal of Rafa Nadal Ross Carl and James Regan will be the panel just after 10.20 this morning. And after 11 o'clock, we'll be talking to David Bielski, who is a golf analyst and writer. A lot going on in the world of golf, as we well know, including uh, players uh, playing in the Scottish Open. Stephen Elker in the Senior Players Championship with another good round overnight. And then we'll be talking to Deb Edlin just after 11.20 this morning. Uh, Deb is a greyhound race trainer but she's also got an interesting website as well uh, in terms of uh, getting people more informed uh, about greyhounds so we'll hear more from uh, Deb about that and of course uh, at 11.30 Stump Smithy is worth 100 bucks this morning 100 smackaroos going into the weekend
2: Sport is our religion and here is Smithy's Sermon
1: well, for me, there's a real hollowness now about Rafa Nadal's epic victory over Taylor Fritz in the F- Wimbledon quarterfinal. Uh, again, playing through pain as he often does, the Spanish genius in the end resisted the charge of the young American in a fifth set tiebreaker. Indeed, one of the matches of the tournament to set up a semi-final clash with naughty boy Nick Kyrgios. Only it won't happen now because Rafa's pulled out injured and the Aussie gets a free pass to centre court for the greatest occasion in tennis, the stage where he'll either be a hero and a prat or a runner-up and a prat. It's uh, an interesting one for Kyrgios. Will he respect the occasion? Will he respect the stage? Will he be able to? Because it seems his persona under any pressure brings out Ugly Nick, the abuser, the spitter, the insulter. That might or might not be uh, seriously... uh, That might or might not seriously backfire on him if you look at who he possibly could play. You see, it'll either be Djokovic, who's seen it all before, or it'll be local boy Cameron Norrie, Britain's latest great hope. If it fires up against the Brit, if he does, all hell will break loose and rain down on him. Wimbledon crowds are generally the most polite. There's nothing like protecting your own when they're in a corner. And if it's the veteran, the headlines will already be brewing about the Joker and the Brat. And in a year when Wimbledon without Russians, well, is it really? 17th seed Elena Robikina will play number 3 seed Angibert in the women's final early Sunday morning. Robakina was born in Russia, evidently still lives in Russia, but apparently now plays under the flag of Kazakhstan as of a couple of years ago. Interesting indeed. And if Gibert is the victor, who would have ever thought a Tunisian would win Wimbledon? I mean, like ever. The fun and games continue. The results continue to be uncertain. The only real certainty come finals weekend now is that the Brat slash Pratt will be there and Boris Becker won't be. And will his namesake still be the country's boss when the final match point is won? Well, all week we've been uh, questioning about uh, the All Blacks and Ireland uh, team selections with injuries and con- concussions at the forefront. We waited with great interest to see who would be named to run out in Dunedin's Forsyth Bar Stadium in Dunedin for the second test uh, tomorrow night, of course. and uh, Joining us now on N Z in the mornings is Patrick McKendry, the senior sports writer for One News Digital, to help us preview the thrilling match-up. Welcome to... Prime time, uh, Patrick McKendry, of course, always a, a regular panellist for us as well, but we've we've elevated you to the, the number one seed today, Pat, so w- welcome along. Uh, here's a, an interesting thing, uh, how long since the uh, All Blacks have named the same starting 15 from test to test, and that I think eventually, effectively would have happened if Sam Whitelock ha- had not gone down?
4: Yeah. Yeah, g'day, Smithy. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Um, look, I, I can't recall, actually, uh, the last time they named it unchanged side, but um, I'm, I'm, look, I'm not surprised that uh, the selectors have gone this way. I, I expected Scott Barrett to move to lock alongside Brodie Retallick after Whitelock's concussion. I think most people did. And I expected Dalton Papaliki to move to blindside uh, flank here. Ian Foster sort of, um, he flagged it up um, sort of uh, a few weeks ago that they were definitely looking at Papali'i as an option there. Uh, obviously, he's played most of the season uh, at the Blues on the open-side flank, but um, I mean, he, he's going to do a good job there. I feel uh, like he, he's um, a powerful. Look, look at the form he's been in at, at the Blues. He's powerful. He's quick, and I think that combination is going to work pretty nicely for the Blacks under the roof on Saturday night.
1: OK, so if we go back to uh, the actual policy of, of retaining players and keeping the same side on the park, is that, does that signal yeah. a bit of a change uh, from uh, an All Black selection process point of view?
4: Um, look, I think w- w- what the All Blacks probably felt they did was uh, put out a really good first up effort at Eden Park and they want to build on that. I think changing things up at this point would potentially take away from that. Uh, and effectively have to start again. Uh, also, I'm, I'm not sure about bringing players back from COVID too quickly. Uh, I know Will Jordan's on the bench, but apparently he was a step above in terms of, in terms of aerobic capacity this week at training, uh, which leaves uh, Havili and um, there's another player um, I can't recall, another Crusader. Good uh, Hugh. Good um, yeah. He's not quite up the speed. So, and Havili also apparently is carrying a bit of a neck. Uh, issue and a neck issue. So, but I think it's, it's a case of building on on the platform that they built at Eden Park, which you'd have to say was pretty impressive at times. Um, and, and it's those combinations they want to really bid in because we haven't got too too long to go until the World Cup, and really uh, that, that's what they're building to building towards uh, under Foster at the moment.
1: Well, they guaranteed a great playing surface. We know that, and that will have uh, encouraged the All Blacks to uh, to pick. Papaliti along with Kane because that enables him to play a very quick game. You know, and it's the role of six and seven, is that just a jersey number these days with the modern game, or do you still see them as uh, distinctly different roles?
4: Um, I think uh, there are a couple of subtle differences, I think, in terms of uh, positioning and phase play. I think Dalton, obviously, uh, one of his strengths is getting a bit wider in the wider channels, and I think I think they'll use them like that. Um, but I, I'm just excited for the, to, to to look forward to seeing them play with a really high tempo, or at least attempt to, because when they did that against Eden Park, when they when they lifted the heart rates and got the the Irish players chasing a little bit, that's really when they came into their own, and you, you could see Ireland um really struggled to maintain that pace and that intensity uh sam kane talked about it afterwards he says you know when when we're starting to breathe hard that's really when we come into our own and start um and start making the most of our opportunities and i think that's definitely what they're going to do in underneath they're really going to try and run the iris off their feet um, put them uh into, into the red zone in terms of their cardio and uh, you know, which, which makes for potentially a really exciting match and I think that's what we're all expecting
1: Certainly they've shown uh, faith in the, in the front row there's no doubt about that One of the uh, aspects people talked about with uh, the, the quality of the scrum was the grunt behind it and, and that was having a big man yeah. at six in, in the form of Ooh. Scott Barrett Now of course he, he hops across the lot to uh, a locking situation where his grunt will be there but what about the grunt from six now with Popelite? You're not a noted big man, not a noted scrum pusher.
4: He's still quite a big man. Um, I look that, that that scrum at times went really well, and and just a word on Barrett, um, I think, because he he probably surprised me a bit with how how well he played, and I think that's probably the template for the All Blacks, uh, particularly against the really big Northern Hemisphere nations in South Africa. I think uh, the ability for the All Blacks to play him there, uh, he's so big and powerful, and he, he really does bring a bit of an intimidatory edge. I know he plays pretty close to the mark sometimes, Barrett, um, but I, I think he got it pretty pretty well right, and I, I was just really impressed with the, the, sort of the, the way he used his bulk uh, and his um, decisiveness in, in carrying the ball as well as uh, defending. That really impressed me but but with um I don't, I don't think we're going to lose a lot in terms of scrummaging power with papali on the side of the scrum i think probably p- potentially the line out uh might be slightly uh the weaker uh, if, if anything in terms of set piece because obviously having three really um big, big tall men there provided lots of options It also put pressure on the irish uh so they haven't quite got that this time but they'll um they haven't got Sam Whitelock calling either, calling the line-outs. It'll be Brodie at mm. this moment, and he doesn't do that too often. So that'll be interesting. But, uh, yeah, I think, if anything, the line-out might be slightly weaker uh, against the Irish. But it's up to the All Blacks to, to work a few different variations in there.
1: You've talked about uh, Will Jordan and um, the fact that he just is a, he's a cut above everything, really, uh, in terms of rugby at the moment. But probably perceived as one of the best uh, rugby players on the planet at the moment. Uh, but... Uh, we don't seem to be able to find room for him in the fifteen. I know he's had COVID. I know he's coming off the bench here, but uh, in yeah. a, in you know in the perfect scenario when everyone's available, everyone's well, yeah. do you see him starting for the All Blacks?
4: Yeah, yeah. I think I see him starting on the right wing, um, and I think he would have started there uh, in the first test and the second test if, if he didn't pick up the virus. Um, I, I, it's a case now where you have to get him on the field from the start because he's just, he's so good. Uh, he, he's developed so quickly and so far um, that, uh, you know, you, you either have to start him on the right wing or at fullback. And I think uh, I, I was pretty happy with the way Geordie Barrett played at fullback. It's its really, I think it's a great option to have that, uh, the tall presence at the back, fantastic kicking boot, and he was perfect uh, off the tee as well. Um, but I think Will Jordan, uh, people may say he's a, he's a little bit wasted on the right wing, but I, I disagree. I think, um, you know, Test Rugby's different, uh, and as long as you're busy and willing to put yourself in the right places, and Will Jordan, there's no one better at doing that than Will Jordan. Uh, he just pops up uh, perfectly uh, when he's required. Um, but I guess he's a little bit like Ben Smith in that regard. Obviously, Smith, pretty good fullback, as we know, but uh, he also made a really good fist of playing right wing for the All Blacks, so... I can see that sort of progression from Will Jordan as well.
1: One of the strangest selections from the outset uh, was that of Carl Tuanuku because, of course, he's not going to be available to the All Blacks uh, very shortly. Uh, We saw him come off the bench to add to the weight to the scrum, but he's been left out of the 23 this time round for Aidan Ross, who will make his debut. Is this the last we'll probably see of Big Carl, you think?
4: Uh... Look, I think the selectors are nothing if not pragmatic, and it all depends on injuries, etc. But potentially, yes. I was surprised that he was named in the squad, Big Carl. Uh, Look, I love him to death. I think he's a real character. Um, And, you know, his story is remarkable. Uh, But I I think it was a really conservative move from the selectors. I think it probably um, was an indication of how much pressure they and the coaches were under in terms of this series. Um, because it, it was obviously a must-win, and they really do not want to, to, to drop even one game against the Irish who have never won in New Zealand before. So, yeah, I was surprised Carl was named. He's obviously going to France um, shortly, um, and so I, I think it was probably a, a good opportunity for the selectors to bring in some new blood. Aiden Ross gets his chance off the bench, which is brilliant, um, but potentially I would have gone even a little bit deeper and, and had a look at potentially Fraser Newell from the Crusaders, because uh, I think he's a he's a big up and comer, um, but I guess you know mm. uh, injuries, more sickness could bring Carl really quickly back into the mix.
1: Okay, let's uh, look at uh, the other debutante off the bench who will get a run at some point to follow uh, on his uh, home ground in terms of Super Rugby. Anyway, uh, this is uh, uh, an interesting one, but an expected one to to just leave Finley Christie out of the mix this week.
4: Yeah, I'm pleased about this one. Um, I really like Sakata. I think he's a point of difference. Um, he doesn't seem to be too phased by things. Obviously, it's a, it's a huge moment for him and his family uh, to play on his his first test potentially, and he, and he will get on, I, I assume, in the second half. Playing his first test at home, um, he's just a ball of energy, isn't he? When he comes on, and he's and he's so powerful. And the All Blacks um, until now haven't really had that. They've had the they have had the quick passer and and you know the the agility of Aaron Smith and Finley Christie like that as well um, and and so is Brad Weber uh, but uh, I guess TJ Perenara was slightly more powerful but Fakatava takes it to the new level. Uh, he's a proper presence around the breakdown. Uh, he he keeps defenders honest around there in that area and he also can he packs a real punch in the tackle as well. So. He keeps people honest in that way. So, really looking forward to, to the young man getting his opportunity. And, you know, I hope for his sake and for his family's sake that he goes well. Uh,
1: Pat McEndry, in your time of writing about rugby, which is uh, significant, when you look at the fact that you have got Smith, Christy, Fakatava, you've got Perinara, Perinara, and Weber playing in the series four. Uh, the Maori All Blacks, which are, are, are basically effectively makes players like Bryn Hall about 6th and 7th in the country. Uh, has halfback ever been as strong?
4: Good question. Um, we, we can say that, but we can also say that you know, it wasn't that long ago where, where the stocks were fairly thin on the ground. You know, there was Aaron Smith way out by himself and really there was no one else. Um, I, I guess Smith is still... Is still way ahead, I think, in terms of his, um, his passing ability, his feel for the game, and the way that he can inspire his teams um, and his professionalism, for that matter. Um, but there are certainly there are other options, and I, I just think for the All Blacks, it's brilliant to have a very different option of Sakatava, uh, who brings something that the others don't. Um, you know, I, I also think that. Um, Brad Weber really impressed for the for the Māori All Blacks uh, the other week. I thought he played a, 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 an incredible game, and I was at the ground and I watched him, and he was just so busy. He was incredible. Um, so looking forward to him getting another chance uh, against uh, against the Irish in Wellington on Tuesday night. But um, certainly uh, the, the All Blacks and New Zealand rugby are very lucky in that space at the moment.
1: OK, let's uh, look at the opposition if we can, uh, um, Pat, because Andy Farrell has basically been faithful as well. I mean, he's only made one change uh, to yep. his starting 15. Mac Hansen comes in for Keith fields on the right wing. That is it for him. So he probably realises um, they weren't that far away at times.
4: It's interesting, isn't it? They've come down here, Ireland and Andy Farrell, and said, you know, we're uh, building... Um, it's a great challenge playing in New Zealand against the All Blacks and they have got very, uh, a very difficult challenge in five very hard games with, if you add in the Māori All Blacks. Um, so we're building and yet they're not willing to change anything for the second test really, um, which I, I guess is a little bit of mixed messaging in there. Um, you, you look at Johnny Sexton, took a knock, a bad knock in the first half of that uh, first test went off, uh, failed as HIA, and didn't come back on. Um, they're not willing to try Joe, uh, Joe Carberry there, um, which, you know, I think that might raise a few eyebrows because I think basically Farrell feels that they can't win without sex on the field. And this guy, he's not getting any younger. Uh, what is he, 37 or something? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I, I guess I guess that's an indication of not only uh, Sexton's importance to the team in terms of his attack, and he is brilliant there, there's no doubt about it, but also uh, the importance that that Farrell was placing on getting a first-ever victory against the All Blacks uh, in New Zealand. Um, And he clearly feels that they can't do it without Sexton.
1: We know we're going to get great conditions. Uh, we know the referee, uh, Yako Paper, from South Africa. We know what he's like. So what are you expecting um, out of this Test match? I mean, the TAB have given, uh, they've given Ireland a 14.5-point start. Uh, I think that might be a bit yeah. generous.
4: Oh, they, they tend to get these things right, don't they? Uh, I I'm, I'm inclined to agree. Um, I don't think it'll take too much for their heads to drop. I know that there are um, you know superbly well drilled professionals and they have a different mindset these days with a with a track record of beating the All blacks. However, uh, I, I think it's it's a huge task to get up for this one for them uh, under the roof. I think all the conditions are going to suit the All blacks. Um, the All blacks feel that they they hit some pretty good notes at Eden Park. Uh, they'll be desperate to achieve that again, and and I think um, I think they will. Um, they'll they'll attempt play a, a very much a high tempo game they won't allow Ireland to rest at any, in any stage, and I think they have the players to really stretch them. So it'll be difficult for Ireland, and I, I think if they, you know, their defence is so good, but if they if, if the All Blacks do get in behind them, then they they really can create some havoc. And I think if the All, if if Ireland concede a couple of early tries then it's going to be very a very difficult evening for them which you know tougher tougher for irish fans but brilliant for all blacks fans potentially
1: absolutely uh well enjoy pat uh, enjoy the second test match uh, Great, thanks mate. very much for us uh, summing it up for us and um and uh, being available to come on the show thank you mate uh, we'll catch thanks. up uh, very buddy. shortly Patrick McKendry there, folks, Uh, and with his uh, considered thoughts on uh, the the make-up of both sides for the second Test match. Uh, Yeah, 14.5 points. Uh, I might have a little nibble at that because it was just that that 20-minute period where the All Blacks broke away, and then Ireland, of course, were right back into it in the second 40. Interesting. 9.24 here on SENZ. Uh, they would have stuck with them. Is this a new policy? Do you see this uh, as a new consistent policy from uh, Ian Foster and co? I mean, there's still a lot of test matches to be played before the World Cup, but it's the attitude of rewarding good performance and sticking with those players, the incumbents, uh, which is, uh, I think, a little bit re- uh, refreshing. Uh, from uh, and, I, and I think that's it's quite a good thing. I mean, we've talked about rest and rotation and, you know, experimentation, but it's too late for that now uh, we're going to get in there and, and settle on some units and some combinations so what do you make of that 0800 150 811 or anything else Warriors got to buy this weekend so at least we won't be talking about them uh, and their performance on Monday morning so uh, we can perhaps leave them alone or maybe you can come in if you like and what would you do any more changes who would your coach be that's a big one isn't it who would your coach be for the Warriors happy to talk about that or any other subject you want 0800 150 811, and it's coming up after this edition of the news with the lovely Aroha.
5: Talk back time with Smithy. Brought to you by Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. Call now for a chance to win today's 50 dollar Chemist Warehouse voucher. 0800 150
2: 811.
1: here on SENZ. Yes, your opportunity now to uh, get on the radio and have your own say and uh, wouldn't be uh, the same without uh, the day before a test match in Dunedin that the host comes on first, the host being Dean, of course. Uh, Dean, good morning uh, to you, sir. Now that we've seen the two sides, what are you making now?
6: Oh, I love it, mate. Love it. But more importantly... I'm just so pleased we've got a roof, mate. We're supposed to play golf today. It ain't happening. So, uh, yeah, she's uh driving range, I'd say. I mean, a few cold beers. But for me, I think what you just said before, hopefully the rotation is just the cycle we leave in the reserve bench now. And they can leave the 15 on. And I, I, my opinion, I thought Dave Harvilli was... Um, probably better equipped to start the test than he got COVID. You give a a young fella a chance, which Tupoye was given, and he plays the way he did. This is what used to happen. You know, he he didn't want to give your jersey away because exactly what Tupoye did means you might not get it back for quite some time. So if we stick with this, and I've got opinions, you've got opinions, at the end of the day, we've all got bottoms, so that's all it means. And we keep winning. I don't care, mate. I honestly do not care so long as we keep winning. And we're on the right track. in Ireland, yep, I'm pleased they've named a very similar team because what did they do wrong apart from get more points? So they had a few things to look at. We got a few things defensively, like how did they get all over our try line or inside our 22? The problem wasn't once we were there. It was that they actually got there. So we have to address that, which I'm sure they've done during the week. So I just can't wait, mate. I cannot wait. And it's going to be a pea-super weather, so... Mm.
1: Wasn't that long ago, Dino, you'd have been sitting somewhere maybe on the terraces at Carisbrook, or maybe selling your ticket outside if the weather's that bad, eh? What about the value of that roof now? And what have Christchurch got to do with their stadium?
6: I don't care about Christchurch, mate. The lot more meetings they have, the more rugby we get down here. We're at, I'm you going to Carisbrook this afternoon. The placemakers, old um, Justin <laughs> McCurdy's opening a new branch there, so he's rugby ass, so it's kind of appropriate that um, they're opening tonight on Carisbrook placemakers, so yeah, there's, you know, it's got a roof as well. It's amazing what happens down this end of the South. All we need now really honestly is Roger Clark and Kempi to get on the same page, get the polar bears out of Dunedin. What a stadium for rugby league. And I guarantee you, I tell you what, with Wayne Smith's CEO, Kempi Calling the shots as club captain and making sure we get all the right people in the right positions. No, look at me, look at me. People involved, they just get shown the gate, and uh, we'll win a trophy before the Warriors even get close.
1: Okay, Dean from Dunedin, absolutely brilliant as always, Dean. people love your opinions. You've got a real fan club with us, and uh, let's hope you have. a great weekend uh, at home, and uh, it uh, turns out to be everything you want it to be. Sounds like you're going to be busy. Uh, driving range, afternoon beers, evening function, more beers, wake up tomorrow morning, more beers, and rugby. Fantastic. The ideal weekend for you, Dean. John from Auckland. Uh, I'm not sure if you're travelling down to Dunedin, but uh, what are you looking forward to?
7: No, no, unfortunately I'm not. I'm leaving that to Dino, mate. Um, I'm looking forward to our loose trio this weekend. There's been a lot made that a lot of them uh, started off at sevens, as a seven, I should say. Um, but I think, you know, people have alluded to on your station that because it's a dry track, it's under the roof, it's going to be a fast-paced game. These three are suited to this these conditions. Uh, it's going to be quite interesting to see. People seem to think that, um, you know, Papali'i is not big enough. I've, I've told... Uh, quite a few people around that Papali'i weighs 113 kgs and he's 6 foot 4 so I, I think that's pretty big mate, that's probably the same size as Jerome Kaino, probably not as tall um, but it's about that physical domination if he can get that in that forward pack uh, we've seen it at Super Rugby level, he's one of the best, if not the best 7 going around in Super Rugby level and um, yeah, well, we'll see how it goes mate, what do you think Smithy? Are you going to well, be think, at the game?
1: No, i'm not I'm not at the game. I'll be sitting on the couch at home watching it, so and listening to the lads do their job. but uh, here's the thing for me. Whatever happens tomorrow, I'm picking here, John, that uh, Sam Whitelock will go in for the next test if he's fit, right? So uh, yeah. tomorrow uh, is a really interesting night for Dalton Popoletti because if if that is the case and and then uh, they uh, they look at that number six Jersey and do they go for bulk and you say he's as big he's as big as as uh, Kano, which is cool. Do they go back to Barrett after his impressive uh, form at Eden Park, or do they stay with uh, with Dalton Popper? know, so tomorrow I think tomorrow tomorrow night's huge for Dalton, huge.
7: Yeah, exactly, mate. And I think um, probably Scott Barrett still has the running for that number six jersey at the moment because of that awesome performance, and we need that against South Africa. I see that the Springboks have uh, are starting the old rotation as well, what we did a few years ago. So it'll be interesting. Um, You know, I think we should hold that that starting 15 that started the first test. Unfortunately, some of them are injured and COVID and whatnot. But, yeah, like I said, it's going to be interesting, mate. Tupai, he needs to stay there as well. Um, Like Dino said, he took his chance when Harvey had COVID. So, yeah, I won't blabber on, but that's all me. Cheers.
1: Hey, John, always enjoy your, your call and you don't... You do not blather on, as far as we're concerned. We're, we love uh, hearing from you, Neville from Dunedin. Talk about uh, the fact that uh, Dino's the host down there. Well, Nev, Nev's been around a bit longer than Dino. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm picking. Um, Nev and have, Nev always, Nev always, always has considered opinions about rugby and, in particular, golf and the old live, the live tour. Yeah. Well, says <laughs> Dino, Dino, we've got
8: casting dogs down here, and it's going to be the same tomorrow. But um, I just think we could be in for a ripper tomorrow night because we've got to remember Ireland spent over 10 minutes attacking inside the 22 in the first year, whereas the All Blacks only had three minutes. So if Ireland can work out how to get over that last metre, we could be in for a real real ripper. Um, Anyway, I'm just going to briefly comment on the golf, because we finally seem to be getting some common sense. Rory McIlroy has suddenly decided that he's going to stop, you know, um, mouthing off about them, uh, not wanting them to come back and all that sort of thing. And he said in
9: retrospect,
8: he would like them to sit down and talk with the live golf group and see if they can sort out this Met. And I thought, well, he's and basically listened to Martin Keimer, I think, who was also saying exactly the same thing. He said, look, we're not against anybody playing on this tour. We want to play golf, you know, on all the tours. So why don't they just sit down and work it out? And um, I think with McElroy being on the player council on the Big Geo Tour, he just might have got, you know, got some common sense, hopefully, to come out of all of this. Because there's one thing that hasn't been touched on is that the Asian Tour is growing and they are sponsored by, guess who? Live Golf. So... What's going to happen is
10: is, uh,
8: these other two is going to, the PGO and the DP, are they going to ban all the players who play on the Asian tour? Uh, There's no end to it. Um, So there has to be a clashing of heads so that they can work something out to allow everyone to exist and the players not to be, you know... uh, there's been so much vitriol and nastiness that's been coming out from some of the PGA Tour players and the DP World Tour players and it's just not good for the game and it's not good for friendships. Um, it's just got to be some common sense.
1: Totally agree, Neville. I totally agree they've got a Uh, And next week might be the start of it um, because uh, the Open Championship is open to all as such as opposed to the Scottish uh, Open which is on at the moment so they'll all be there and uh, we'll be talking uh, to golf uh, correspondent uh, David Bialeski just after uh, 11 this morning and we will be asking him a lot of those questions. One of the ones I I want answered too, uh, Neville, is uh, how do they approach these players? Is there an open invitation uh, to cross the border? Or has uh, Greg Norman just um, uh, has he just uh, tried to uh, just weed out the ones that he particularly wants? I, I I need to know more about that process as well. Neville, thank you very much. Have a great weekend down south, regardless of the weather. Uh, Kerry from Manawatu, where it is always fine. Kerry, good morning to you.
8: how are you?
1: How are you? I'm good, man. I'm good. What have you got? To, what you, What about this week? Oh, you want you want to talk about a, a little bit of tennis, eh? Oh, mate, I'm
8: all all set. The efforts solved,
3: yeah. thinking a close
8: one, and under, all black. Um, but, yeah, I've just been, obviously, a fanatic Kiwi. Uh, watch any sport, and I see the has pulled out. Unbelievable. Well, we never hear the end of it if Kiwi else wins um Open.
10: Uh, uh, you know, uh, Wimbledon.
9: Would have been a Look,
1: you're right. Third. It would have been a heck of a game. It's a, it's a great shame, actually, that um, uh, that he's injured. Um, and, and it's also, in a weird sort of a way, a great shame that he didn't withdraw from uh, the match against Taylor Fritz when he had all those problems, and he soldiered on through that thinking that he, he might come right. So you can't blame him for that, but Taylor Fritz is a hell of an exciting player and, and a, a semi-final that would have then been if, if uh, Nadal had it pulled out between Taylor Fritz And Nick Kirios would have been something, uh, uh, you know, real special. And and the organisers, the Wimbledon organisers, be pulling their hair out, mate. They'll be pulling their hair out because they've got a a non-event. You know, they've got an abbreviated day all of a sudden. It's a shame that they can't just put him straight back up into the
8: semi. Yeah, Uh, Yeah, it is. It it is. and even Nadal, he's not the best of mates
1: with Kirios. Yeah, either, either
8: semi would have been a great semi. And,
4: um, man, is he
8: going to have some power now getting into the final? If he he does trip
1: over, I I presume Djokovic will get in. Um, And he'll be fresh. He'll be fresh going into the final. Yeah, a fresh Nick Kyrgios. And we're talking tennis after 10 o'clock this morning, Kerry. So thank you very much for your call. Uh, Continue to listen in because we have Mark McGowan on that very subject very shortly. Uh, We'll take a short break here on uh, SENZ. Thank you so much for your calls uh, this morning. And all week, the boys will make a call on that to Chemist Warehouse Voucher very shortly.
3: Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in our Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
1: 9.51 and a number of texts have come in this morning. Davis has come in and said, uh, he's pointed out, we have a full house in uh, the All Black Forward Pack this weekend. Two locks and three sevens. Um, effectively, uh, because Ardi Savia, of course, a lot of people thinking Artie Savia, Uh, is uh, a number seven, a natural number seven. So yeah, you're right there. We have uh, two locks and three sevens uh, in the engine room this weekend, Dave, well spotted. Um, If you bring Will, Nick, this is from Nick, if you bring Will Jordan in on the wing, you have to put Severese in at the left wing. I'm not sure Jordan is out and out more valuable than the Seville Reese at the moment. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. I'm not sure that he is at the wing either. I think at fullback, he's unbelievably good value. One thing you know about Will Jordan, give him a chance, he'll score. I mean, he just has a nose for the try line like no one else at the moment. Um, and he a terrific finisher. He's got a great step. He's got all those, all those skills. And when you use uh, Will Jordan on four, at 14 and you've used Geordie Barrett, uh, Barrett at 15, you've got two great... Counter-attacking guys, uh, two great uh, natural fullbacks who are able, you know, to field high balls and launch something from the back, and uh, you know that, that is uh, obviously one of the things that uh, is introduced to Will Jordan's play when he is on the wing. That counter-attacking ability. So, um, yeah, very interesting in that. So uh, we'll just see uh, in due course uh, what happens there, and that'll be the third test match. Will be an indicator there of uh, where they're going. That one in two weeks, of course, in Wellington. Um, And John from South Canterbury said, uh, Love it, Smithy. Kyrgios is a prat. Hope he gets taught a lesson at Wimbledon. Learned yesterday is up for domestic assault charges too. Not only a bully on court, but a bully at home, it appears. So whatever happens, whether he win, loses, or whatever at uh, Wimbledon, the first thing he does when he gets home, I think, is uh, answer to these charges, these domestic assault charges. I'm not sure they're... um, and not not uh, over the, the exact details of it, but um, not a good look. Not a good look at all. And uh, yeah, he's uh, certainly he's certainly in a situation where uh, he has to um, uh, you know, has to be very very careful from what he does uh, from here on in. Kadios on and off the court, and whether he respects the occasion at Wimbledon uh, Grand Final day, uh, that'll be interesting to see as well. Uh, Chris has come in and said COVID must have an effect on the coach's brain. Stick with the same team two weeks in a row maybe Ian Foster is learning I think that's one of the, the highlights and one of the interesting factors of this team selection It is 9.53 here on SENZ
3: The voice of sport in Aotearoa This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ you got to know when
6: to hold Know when to fold multi. Know when to walk away
2: Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today.
1: Well, I had the Storm to beat the Sharks last night. That didn't happen. They got pulverised, so not a good uh, result there today and uh, over the weekend. Australia to beat England, $1.65. Uh, I think that will happen again, 15 on 15, hopefully. Rabbitohs to beat the Knights uh, at $1.48, and the Broncos to beat the Dragons at a uh, $1.73. And Ireland, I, I've been thinking about this. I'm going to take the 14 and points start. I think the All Blacks will win by uh, one to 12, so uh, 14 and a half points is good enough for me at a dollar 82. There, multi. that all up, at seven dollars 68. Seven sixty eight. Australia rabbits, Bronx and Ireland plus 14 and a half, Seven dollars 68. We shall be talking tennis after the break. Uh, news, uh, of course, coming out of Wimbledon. Ex- interesting news. Kirios Straight through to the final.
3: From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
1: 10.03 here, New Zealand time, and it's crunch time at the All England Lawn Tennis Club with Wimbledon down to the semi-final stages now, but it will be without... Rafa Nadal, he has pulled out uh, of this clash uh, overnight with Nick Kyrgios due to an abdominal strain, making Kyrgios the first Australian to make it through to the Wimble singles final since Mark Filipousis did it way back in 2003. The other matchup in the men's draw now at this stage is Novak Djokovic against uh, the local boy Cameron Norrie. Meanwhile in the women's draw we've already seen the finalists decided overnight with Elena Rybakina and Ons uh, Jabeur set to meet in Sunday's grand final for and Jabeur interestingly enough first Arab player to reach a Grand Slam final. So then, uh, on the, the line to talk to uh, us more about Wimbledon is uh, from News Corp Australia, tennis reporter Mark McGowan. So many interesting developments to talk about overnight. Mark, uh, thanks very much for your time this morning, but uh, from an Australian point of view, of course, you have a finalist uh, in the men's side of things uh, with Nick Kyrgios. Yeah,
11: absolutely. It's, it's one of those... <laughs> Situations where it's, it's a bit bittersweet for Nick Kyrgios, but it's it's a bit of a, a destiny fulfilled for him. I think it would have been a waste if he would never got to this sort of stage of a of a Grand Slam. He's, he's such a great talent, but obviously you never like to see it in these circumstances, and, and obviously very shattering for for Rafael Nadal, a great champion of the sport.
1: How's Kyrgios viewed um, as a tennis player um, in terms of you know his, his behavior etc. How how's he viewed in Australia compared to say? Maybe uh, well, a Leighton Hewitt or even going back further, a Pat Cash?
11: Yeah, I, I think it's fair to say he's a polarising character. Um, it doesn't matter where you go, whether it's Australia, um, any other country. Um, Nick has the people who love him um, and he also has the people that hate him. And I think you can understand that. He's, um, <laughs> he wears his heart on his sleeve, but he's, he's such a huge talent. And I think even the people who don't enjoy his personality and some of the antics he gets up to, it's you can't debate the fact that he's an entertainer and he's just incredibly great to watch. Um, you know, a high-octane game, big shots, underarm serves, always drama. Yeah.
6: Um,
11: but I think overall, Australians, like any country, they love a winner. And, and Kyrgios right now is winning. And um, I think everyone will be uh, rooting for him to to hold up that uh, that title at the end of the weekend.
1: Mark, how do you think he's going to handle the big stage? I mean, biggest stage of his life. Uh, we know the the nature of Wimbledon and, uh, you know, I wouldn't say holier than holy um, part of tennis mm. because it's deemed that way with the, the, the all-white uniforms, et cetera, like that, uh, and their standards that they maintain. How's he going to handle this stage, you think?
11: It's, it's going to be fascinating. I, I think... The thing about Nick he's such a complex character. I mean, we a lot of people like to think they know what he what he is and who he is, just judging him from his press conferences and some of the comments he makes. And a lot of people think he might be immature and and those sorts of things. But he's he's a sort of pretty complicated, sensitive soul, and he makes some interesting decisions at times. But and he, and he sometimes you know makes comments like he doesn't like tennis and he prefers basketball and all these things. But it's it's quite clear that this is a title that. He's really chased throughout his career. And he, he always regarded grass as his best surface, his best chance to make a big splash. And um, we're seeing that this fortnight. And I think, I think he's going to be nervous. I think that's natural. I think anyone's going to be nervous and everyone's going to see that, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's going to be a tough situation for him. But I think Nick this is his chance to really stamp himself. He won, the obviously, the doubles title in Australia only a couple of months ago, and, and this is his big chance now to cement his legacy. Um, so many people from when he was a world junior number one expected him to be here, and probably a lot sooner. Um, we saw some great success. He made some quarterfinals early in his career, and that's going back eight years ago now. Um, so people would have thought that he would have reached this stage by now, but this is his big chance, as I've said already, and I just think for Nick... He's got nothing to lose. He's going to go in as the underdog, whether he's playing against Novak Djokovic, who he's beaten twice before, or against Cameron Norrie, the, the local hope. So it's going to be fascinating to see what happens either way.
1: What will he... I mean, this is an unusual situation because he's not going to be playing tennis for the thick end of about three days uh, between matches mm-hmm. as a result of this. So how do you then prepare for a Grand Slam final without match play? Uh, recent match play? Yeah, it's an interesting one
11: as well because Nick is on record quite regularly as saying he's not a great trainer. He doesn't love to put in extended hours on the court, but you'd imagine he's going to have to have some sort of simulated match practice just to make sure there's not any real rust over the next few days. He still would have played a lot of tennis in recent weeks. He's had five setters. He's had testing matches. Um, you know, He's played high-intensity ones against you know Stefano Tsitsipas only a couple of rounds ago. He's played high competition. He was in trouble in the last round against Nakashima. So he, he'll probably back himself, that he's got enough matches behind him. Also in the lead-up, he made a couple of semifinals. So he's played a lot of tennis in recent weeks. That'll be the, the thing that will keep him in, in good stead. But you'd imagine he's going to have to put in a bit of extra work on the practice court just to make sure that he's still sharp for a couple of days' time.
1: So if we look at uh, the other semi-final, uh, common sense is uh, for Nick Kyrgios, the preferred option is Cameron Norrie. Is, is that clearly the case?
11: Uh, y- yes, in some ways, I think so. I mean, look, Norrie's obviously going to be the, the crowd favourite um, if he gets through. Um, we haven't seen a winner since Andy Murray locally you know, as far as the Great Britain's hopes are concerned. But I think Nick would relish the opportunity to come up against Novak again. He's... He's certainly not going to be intimidated by him. He's beaten him in their only two meetings, as I mentioned before. Uh, He he relishes being the underdog as well. I think if it was Norrie that that managed to upset Novak and get through, Kyrgios, it'd be seen more as a 50-50 or even there'd be people thinking that that Nick might even be the favourite. So I don't know if he'd necessarily relish that. I I think he'd want Novak. He'd want to beat the best. Um, And this has already been a very strange Wimbledon. Um, with obviously Belarusian and Russian players banned, some of the best players not here, Matteo Berrettini had to pull out because of COVID. So he wants to really rubber stamp this as I've beaten the best to win this title. Um, He would have loved to have beaten Nadal to get here, and obviously he's not going to get that chance. So if he can win the title beating Novak, I think that would be seen as a a greater achievement. So I think quietly Nick would, uh, would prefer that.
1: Having said that, uh, there is a real steal, I imagine, a- about Djokovic. Uh, obviously, he's the, n- the number one seed. Uh, he's uh, the pundits' favourite going here. But the other uh, aspect, uh, of course, uh, is that he, he's allowed to play Wimbledon, but he has not been allowed to play other majors um, because of uh, Grand Slam events because, of course, his stance uh, on uh, inoculation, COVID inoculation. So he's got a, a real deep sort of point here, I think, uh, jo- uh, Djokovic, this time round.
11: No doubt. And we we already know that it's likely he's not going to be able to compete at the US Open next month. And at this stage, he's two Grand Slam titles behind Rafael Nadal. So, obviously, if he can win here, he slashes that in half um, with a a very strong likelihood he won't be in New York um, in August. So, neither of them are getting younger. And, yes, they might talk about, yeah, we're not chasing history and it doesn't matter who wins, all these sorts of things. But there's no doubt privately that Novak would love to be once all said and done, the, the Grand Slam overall titles leader. And um, you just never know when you fall off a cliff as an athlete, when you're over 30. Um, at this stage, it looks like Novak's going to go on for years, but you just never know what's going to happen, whether it's injury like in Rafael Nadal's case or, or something else in your life that might happen. So for Novak, his time is right now. He's, he still looks at his absolute peak. He's come back from the dead in his last round. He was two sets to love down against Yannick Sinner and impressively came back from that position, um, he'll be a heavy favourite to beat Norrie, um, and you'd expect he'd, he'd be the favourite against Nick as well, even though the head-to-head record is in, in the Australian's favour, but this is, this is Novak's chance, and I'd, I, you'd still back him at this point to be, um, to be the Wimbledon champion at the end of the weekend, but funny things can happen, and it could be destiny for Nick curious.
1: Yeah, it could be destiny, so uh, all eyes on that, but all eyes, too, on uh, the women's side of things as well, Mark, and you mentioned mm. the absence of uh, Russian and Belarusian players as such, uh, but it's not quite the case because uh, one of the finest finalists, of course, is Alina R- R- Rubikina, who uh, got through against Simona Halep uh, 6-3, 6 overnight. Uh, Russian-born, still has a residence uh, in Russia, although playing under the Kazakhstan flag, so... It is, in a sense, and I guess a lot of Russian players who have been ostracised or banned look at that and say, really?
3: Really?
11: Yeah, it's an interesting turn of events. There's no doubt about that. We actually saw before the tournament started, we had a a player change nationalities to, to make sure she'd be able to into the draw. So there's been all sorts of strange events going on at this Wimbledon, and, and this is just another, and it was always probably going to end up this way, wasn't it? But look, Rob Buccaneer, it's she's, she's a, a really talented player, a really big ball striker. Um, I guess it, you never know if you're going to reach this stage, which is the type of player that you always thought had greater, greater things in a future. And Anjabur is um, is, a, is just a fantastic player to watch. Doesn't have the, the big artillery that, uh, that Rob Buccaneau has, but just an artist out on the court, loves using angles, slice, everything. And um, it's going to be a fascinating final. I don't think anyone would have picked that to be the the final at the start of the fortnight, but it's, it's a really interesting contrast of styles and, and should be good fun to watch.
1: It is an interesting one. I mean, who would have thought uh, the real possibility, and she is the favorite here for Shabir. is that a player from uh, Tunisia, Tunisian born tennis mm-hmm. player would be, in a Grand Slam final, perhaps a Grand Slam champion of Wimbledon of all places, shows the global reach of the game in some areas, I guess.
11: It really does, and and she's been steadily climbing the rankings over the last few years. She's one of the best players in the world now, there's no doubt about it. It's not necessarily a shock to see her at this stage of the tournament, but the fact that this is her first time, you, you just never know if someone's going to make it this deep into a tournament. And she's, she's been really impressive. She had a bit of a stumble in the semi-final, lost the second set, but, but managed to, to steam home in that third set and win quite comfortably. So um, she, she's really popular in her home country. She's very popular among the playing group. And she's probably going to be the one that the players will, will side with and would love to see win. But uh, Roy Buckner is the, the younger player and, as I said, the, the big ball striker. And um, it's, going to be, it's going to be really interesting to see. I'd back... Ons to be the, the favourite um, But if Roy Buckner can get that Serve going on the grass um, She's going to be very tough to beat
1: I, I would imagine we'll see Serena Williams At the US Open Because uh, it's home after all And she's a uh, crowd mm-hmm. favourite there But how much longer, just looking at the fact That uh, she was eliminated so early uh, at, uh, at Wimbledon
11: Yeah, I, I think a lot of us thought she was done already It it was a little bit of a surprise to see her come out of retirement. It wasn't retirement; she's never actually officially retired. We hadn't seen her for for a year or more, and a lot of people just thought we may never see her again. And um, obviously, accepted the wild card, played doubles before Wimbledon, and threw herself into the singles draw a week later. It was always going to be very tough at her age, um, on the wrong side of 40, and with such little preparation. But uh, New York is obviously very close to her heart, as the obvious reasons. And I think we'll see a much more competitive Serena um, once the U.S. Open rolls around. She, she'll obviously try to play um, at least one tournament in between then and now. Um, you'd imagine she'll probably play even more than that just to get some match practice under her belt. She's running out of chances to to win another Grand Slam title, and it's probably pretty long odds at this point that we'll see her um, hold another trophy aloft. But. At this point, it's, it's foolhardy to, to doubt Serena. She's just done some amazing things in her career. She's arguably the greatest female player of all time. So maybe there's another fairy tale to come. But um, I think from what we've seen in her Grand Slam results over the years, it's becoming increasingly difficult for her to maintain a high standard over a whole fortnight. So um, you'd bet against her in, in some ways, but then there's that, that nagging... Um, Belief at the back of your your mind about doubting Serena is always um, a dangerous thing to do.
1: No about-face from uh, Ash Barty?
11: No, it's not looking like it. Um, Ash, obviously she was at the the absolute peak of her career when she stepped out. Um, Won this title 12 months ago and, and shocked everyone when she stepped away. Um, and then since she's gone, obviously, on Spiontek has, has taken over and has become quite a dominant number one. But I think we've seen Ash come out of retirement once before, so everyone's sort of holding out some hope, but it seemed quite final this time, and I, I don't think we're going to see Ash again. She, it sounds like she's going to keep it involved in tennis in some way with a, with a junior academy to help the next generation, but that might be the best we're going to get, but... Um, she's still young, you just never know she might get itchy feet in a couple of years time but as we know, the, the longer you're out of the game and as you're getting older um, it's going to be harder for her to, to come back and, and be at the top of her game but I think if I was to take a guess right now and you, you ask me, I don't think we're going to see Ash playing professionally again
1: That's uh, sad but because Australian men's tennis looks pretty damn good actually, doesn't it? You, I think you had three in the last 16 if you look at uh, Alex de menor you're looking at uh, Jason Kubler and, of course, uh, Nick Kyrgios. This is uh, starting to, with their age, starting to look like a really good time for Australian men's tennis.
11: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the, the men are showing some real promise. We've seen Sanasi Kokanakis um, up so much injury worries. He's, he's had a, a bit of a bounce back year this year, winning a title at the start of the year. There's, I think there's, you know, there's, there's some guys knocking on the door of the top 100 as well. There's, there's regular strong representation in that top 100 and competing at the Grand Slams. Um, it's, it's, it's really good for, for men's tennis. Um, and if Nick can win a Grand Slam singles title on top of his doubles title at the start of the year, I mean, it, it just shows that, that men's, Australian men's tennis is getting right back to the, um, the pointy end again. But the women's game in Australia isn't in quite as good shape now that Ash has stepped away. Isla Tomilanovic had a, a fantastic result here making the quarterfinals, but um, behind her, it's, um, there's not a great deal of depth. There's some, some young players coming through, but you just never know whether they're going to make it. It's a very very tough game, and as as you touched on earlier, the the global stretch now across the world, it's it's so difficult now. The Tunisians are, are, are rising, um, whereas back in the game, you know, back in the back in the day when it was only the US, Utah and Australia really were the, were dominating the field, um, it was a very different game. But um, Look, Ash leaves a big void, and, and unfortunately that's something that uh, these, this next generation is hopefully going to be able to fill, but it's going to be very, very tough because she was a one out of the box. She was a very special talent.
1: Mark McGowan, we thank you very much for your time this morning. Some uh, some late nights ahead for all of us tennis fans uh, on both sides of the Tasman mm-hmm. over the weekend, uh, but plenty to look forward to, including uh, Nick Krios in um, the early hours of uh, Monday morning. Hey, hey, mate, thanks so much for your time and, and enlightening us uh, on uh the events and the status of tennis around the world at the moment thank you
0: my
11: pleasure thanks for having me, my for having
1: me. cheers uh, mark mcgowan the uh of uh, course uh, tennis pundit uh, for news corp australia he's a tennis reporter over there and uh, exciting times for australia with uh, kirios on the edge of something very special 1019 and panel next
3: this is mornings with ian smith on S E N Z. Big
1: talk, big opinions, the panel Regular panellists back this morning And James Regan and Ross Carl And uh, plenty to uh, get through too in the next uh, quarter, an hour or so And uh, Ross, I'll begin with you With uh, the selections uh, for the test match tomorrow Uh, All Blacks and Ireland Really essentially only making one change each Which by today's standards is quite damn unusual, isn't it?
10: It is, especially when you look at what the Springboks are doing, changing entire squads over. Um, but, you know, it's, it's good to see that they're staying true because we need to see the All Blacks consistently playing similar sides week in, week out if we want to know who the best team is come the Rugby World Cup and have some cohesion there. So I'm a big fan of that. Uh, I do find it interesting that, you know, last week it was all about strengthening the line out and this week... Um, they've got Dalton Papali'i, uh, I thought maybe they might bring in a lock for White Lock and leave Scott Barrett where he is, even though Papali'i deserves his shot because he's played so well. Uh, that sort of surprised me um, in saying that the tackle count of the loose forwards is going to be off the charts this weekend with Sam Kane and Dalton Papali'i on there, so that should really help with the defensive workload.
1: And the speed of the game too, Ross. We know exactly what conditions they're going to get because they're playing under a roof, of course, so... Uh, the speed of the game with uh, effectively three guys who can occupy a seven jersey you throw Adi Savir into the mix, speed that Ireland are going to have to somehow nullify.
10: Absolutely, and we saw last week when they click, they're really unstoppable. So whether Ireland can do that and whether they do that by neglecting the All Blacks ball um, like they did in Dublin a couple of years ago or last year, um, that would be a, a one way to go. I think that Look, this all-black team, to me, looks like a really good one. It looks like they know when to strike and how to strike. I think the kicking game is working pretty well. Uh, it, it's really encouraging to see how they're going against a really strong Irish team.
1: OK, James Regan, uh, what have you made of the two sides? What are you expecting?
0: Yeah, well, I'm, I'm definitely glad that Ian is pretty much... Um, Stay the same. I think the way they kind of ran the show last week, Quintupira and Rico Iuani and that midfield were were outstanding. Um, and the you know, as you say, it's under the under the roof in Dunedin, which is great. So hopefully they can they can get a bit more ball and and kind of do what we know they can do. Especially Iuani, he's been so good for the Blues this year. So really looking forward to seeing um, how it plays out with with the conditions and. And Ireland, I think, will we'll step up as well. I think we, we want to see uh, a decider in Wellington, no doubt, but Ireland are going to have to step up and they're going to have to bring something pretty special to, as Ross said, beat a, a really good-looking all-black side across the park. Like There's hardly a weakness in there at the moment, bearing in mind the, the players that are out as well. So really looking forward to it. Always love a, a test in Dunedin uh, in those conditions and, and it should be an absolute cracker.
1: Yeah, and half an hour after that, the second test between the Wallabies and uh, England kicks off too. Uh, this one in Brisbane. Uh, and Dave Rennie, uh, James, has uh, made seven changes. So he's doing, still doing what uh, we were doing in terms of rotation.
0: Yeah, yeah, some of them um, he's had to make because of injuries, but he's kind of brushed it off and said that, you know, will be sweet. He's, um, he's bringing the mind games, I think, a bit there, Dave Rennie. But certainly both sides' depth will be tested, which is kind of what we want to see. Last week was a bit of a clunky game, it felt like, with the Cards and everything um, being the first game of the series as well. So hopefully we get a, a bit more of a gauge of where these two teams are at. And as we say, the, the depth will be tested. Um, but certainly the Wallabies, you know, you wouldn't go against them at the moment. with Dave Rennie, he's, he's such a good coach. He gets his team firing. And Eddie Jones is under the pump as well. So hopefully we get a, a bit of a cleaner game and a better game Um, this weekend and um, get a bit more of a better understanding of where both these teams are at um, in terms of their squad depth as well, looking ahead to the World Cup.
1: ross Carl, how much uh, pressure do you think Eddie Jones is under effectively? Do you think uh, England will be patient with him? Do you think it's a done deal he'll take them to the World Cup in France?
10: Well, He's under a lot of pressure. It's hard to tell with Eddie, isn't it? Because he, he laughs it off and he cracks jokes and he creates mind games and little diversions and distractions about referees, etc. to really stop people talking about exactly what the problem is. And the problem is that for the last four games, the team hasn't looked that good. And they're certainly not the powerhouse that we're expecting them to be off the back of the last World Cup. We thought, do we, do we have an area here of, of England looking like the, the string, strong team in the Northern Hemisphere? But they're, they're really not. And they're coming up against, I think, a Wallabies team this weekend. And you mentioned depth before. A couple of years ago, if you'd made seven changes to a Wallabies side, they would have been toast. And this time around, the players they're bringing in are looking pretty good. So I feel like there's still going to be a lot of pressure on the England team based on the Wallabies team that goes on the field. And I'm really keen to see how Jordan Bataya goes at fullback. The safe way to go probably would have been to put James O'Connor there. But Pataia is such an athlete and such a comer. It would be great to see how he goes in that position where having a player like him or Israel Folau has suited the Wallabies in the past. um, I'm really looking forward to seeing the pressure that he can put on the English defensive lines.
1: Absolutely. It would be interesting to see, um, actually, if uh, they bail out of Super Rugby, as they're trying to threaten to do. Uh, how much depth they would continue to have uh, Australia, whether it would uh, still be there. Interesting. Anyway, uh, we'll take uh, a short uh, news break uh, with uh, Araha now and then when we come back uh, Ross Cale and James Regan uh, we might talk about a prospective uh, Warriors coach, uh, a bit of boxing and perhaps a bit of tennis as well.
12: Big Opinions, the Panel
1: It is uh, Ross, Carl, and James Regan uh, with us this morning on the panel, and it uh, seems to a done deal now. James Regan, that Andrew Webster has uh, reportedly signed a three-year contract uh, to be the ned- next head coach of the Warriors. This uh, a day after Broncos confirm Reece Walsh signing there. Another turbulent week to absorb.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's never dull. Is it never boring with the Warriors in the NRL? Um, yeah, it looks like Andrew Webster's going to be announced. Cameron George is speaking to media this afternoon, um, so it looks like that is a done deal. And regardless of what, what what's gone on in the past couple of weeks, I think you probably have to give a bit of credit that the Warriors have been able to do this pretty quickly, given that other clubs are in the market for a coach as well. Look at the Bulldogs and the Tigers; how long they've been they've been after a new coach. So fair play, and it looks like. Andrew Webster is, is the man for the job. He's obviously got experience with the club, which I think is, is pretty huge, um, given the Warriors are a unique, they're a unique club, right? Um, and, and everything that goes with the Warriors, you're not just coaching the Warriors, you're coaching rugby league in New Zealand. You are the, the shop window, pretty much, of rugby league in New Zealand. So you'd have to think that that is a big part of his appointment. He gets the club, he gets the culture, and he probably gets where they want to go. Um, but regardless, this is a massive, massive appointment for the Warriors. They cannot afford to get this one wrong. They'll be coming home next year. They'll be maybe given next year to try and get their shop in order, but after that, the coach is at the top. He He has to take this club forward, not just the team, but the club. He has to take them forward. He has to turn them into a development club. We need to see juniors coming through, and Andrew Webster will need to be a big, big part of that. And I think that's a large reason why he's got the job over a potential, essentially a couple of other candidates is he, he might have a good understanding of that. Penrith obviously have a really good junior system, so he'll understand what's needed to get one up and running. And that, I, just hope, I hope they're right. I hope they're right because it is a monumental decision that they've made.
1: How do you view it, uh, Ross? Uh, it's come a little quicker than I actually thought. Um, at the appointment of this head coach I thought they just might have um, unless Stacey had said absolutely no absolutely not Stacey Jones and um, unless that I just thought they might have given it another month to play out
10: Yeah, it, it felt to me from the start that Stacey seemed a little bit uncomfortable with the role as head coach like he'd want to be bringing his skills and his thoughts to the table and not necessarily being the top dog, that was just the gist I got from him in the early press conferences, and to me, that felt like someone else would come in. I'm just really glad that they've gone with a coach on the up, because we've seen it work with Clary, we've seen it work with Anderson. You know, when you think about the appointments of Matt Elliott and other people like that, when they've gone with journeymen, it has really blown up in their face. They need someone with new ideas and a new direction. And I think the great thing about Webster, and I think James alluded to it before is he's seen what not to do at the Warriors. He's also seen what to do at Penrith. So he's got some experience there that we can really get some backing up from. Um, It feels to me like that's a really good appointment. He could probably lean on Ivan Cleary a little bit for some ideas on what worked there, um, which is nice as well. So it feels like it's come quickly, but I think that's a good thing as well. They need to move on. They need to make some decisions, and they need to carry on because the longer we labor in this season and deal with the problems that are happening week on week, it's, it's just becoming difficult for the fans to fathom, even if they come home and get a win. Uh, so much pressure on the CEO. That press conference yesterday was brutal. Some of the questions asked of him, they were basically saying, you oh, know, but you guys were in the club, you and the owner. Is it time for you to move on? And, and he was having to face those kind of questions. That's some sobering stuff for a CEO to put up with as he makes decisions like this, and then he has to face another media conference where similar questions will come at him again today. Boy, there's some pressure on the top brass, so they have to get this right, and hopefully this one is one decision that is a good one.
1: Yeah, well, I'll put it to bed, I suppose, once they make an announcement. I, I, I feel for Cameron George in a lot of areas, actually, it's not its not that common that you uh, can't even get to your own office for over a thousand days and expect to do a 100% job with all those personalities, all those uh, differing cultures, and there are people who are desperately homesick, people who don't want to leave home anymore, who change their mind along the process, so... I'm not sure it's the uh, uh, I don't think it's a cakewalk CEO of the Warriors at any point in time really but this particular period has been particularly turbulent and scary actually Um, I I open my next subject here with the word bugger, which I'm probably not allowed to say but I will because Ross Carl, bugger, David Nika out of the Commonwealth Games with a hand injury and there's a guy, I I really um, I like David Nika and I think he's a hell of a boxer and that was a medal uh, out the window I think
10: yeah, he's one of the nicest guys you've eaten in New Zealand sport. Um, I've had some issues, I suppose. He's now four and four as a professional fighter, and this is an amateur competition. And I, I do wonder whether he should have been there in the first place. I, I know that COVID has meant that certain competitions haven't happened on time, and allowances have been made. But he's a professional boxer, training professional camps, and going into an amateur competition, and to me that doesn't sit well. So. Uh, you know, yes, it's very sad for him, and yes, it would have been great to get three gold medals, unprecedented, but you know, really, should a pro be fighting at the Commonwealth Games? I would say probably not.
1: Okay, interesting uh, perspective there. Uh, James Regan, uh, your thoughts?
0: Yeah, I I have to tend to agree a bit with what Ross said. I think if you're David Meeker and the opportunity's there to get a third Commonwealth Games gold medal, then you go for it, right? But um i think in the long run as well this might help him he'll get a bit of time off um he won't be in the in the con games environment which is you know um stressful and then high pressure and high emotion that might just give him a bit of time to to recover and and rest after what's been a, a you know quite a busy few months for him um and it might just Give him a bit of extra time to sort himself out and kickstart his professional career, which is what we want to see. Right? We we want to see him fighting all the time and as much as he can to get that experience under his belt. He's shown that he can do it um, in his past couple of fights, which has been which has been pretty impressive. And now he just needs to just needs to take that next step. So it might there might be a silver lining in this. It would have been amazing to see him get a gold and. Um, Kind of complete that amateur journey the way he wanted to. It's not going to happen, but uh, you know everything happens for a reason. I, I think there might might just be some positives in, in this that he can take. Um, but now now we we want to see him kick on, right? This is this is what this is the business time for David Nika. He needs to kick on. He needs to get a few more fights under his belt when he's when he's healed, um, and get back into camp hopefully with, with the likes of Parker and Fury that can take him to the next level. So all the best to him.
1: Well, if everything happens for a reason, James, then uh, I can't quite find the reason why um, Nick Kyrgios has got a free pass to the Wimbledon final. But he has, so uh, we'll just see how this uh, pans out in the early hours of Monday morning. Kyrgios v. either Djokovic or Norrie. What do you make of that? Yeah,
0: well, I think it's great. I think it's great. Um, it would have been good to see him play Nadal, no doubt and, and I would have liked to see Nadal go all the way um, and remain on track for that, uh, that Grand Slam, that that calendar year Grand Slam but as we say, Smithy, everything happens for a reason. You never know. Kyrgios might go on to, to win this one but um, look, I'm one of those that says it's great for the sport, it's great for tennis. We're talking about Wimbledon because he's there and he's making it entertaining and he's having a go at the, the media and and engaging with them, which you want to see, right? So uh, I'm all for it. I would have liked to see him, of course, play in that semi. I don't think anyone should get a free ride to the final, but that's the way it is, and, and good luck to him. I think uh, good luck to Cam Norrie as well. Hopefully he can make that final with that Kiwi connection, but, yeah, we'll, we'll see, and I, I think it's great. I'm all for it.
1: Feast of uh, sport to watch on Sky over the weekend, rugby um, all the way through, and of course uh, the NRL in pro in progress. Uh, but tennis, of course, in the early hours of each morning, uh, Ross. So, uh, and I'd imagine Kyrgios will attract uh, some fair ratings on both sides of the Tasman.
10: Yeah, people love to watch him, don't they? Because he's just loose. He's loose as anything. I-, I do wonder about the rules in these Grand Slams. You know, if a player pulls out, surely someone else can be pulled in. There's got to be a way that you come up with someone who is almost the best loser scenario. So people still get to see that game and a player has to earn their way into the final and not have, you know, that freshness that um, Kyrgios is going to have over, let's face it, probably Djokovic. Having played less games and, you know, being able to go in nice and fresh, I I just wonder whether there's a way that they can figure that out. Maybe the highest-ranked person who lost in the quarters... Has the ability to stick around for the semi-final and they ask them to stay an extra day just in case. It would be great because you want to watch two semi-finals. (laughs) You don't want to watch one. And I'm sure that people would have turned up to watch no matter who um, Kyrios is playing. So, yeah, I wonder whether that's something they should look into.
1: Okay, thank you very much, fellas. Uh, Have a great weekend watching uh, all the delights in front of us. James Regan and Ross Carr were our panel this morning. Another one, of course, uh, on Monday morning. Thank you.
3: Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ.
1: Text from Sam. Smithy, uh, happy with the new Warriors coach. Glad we have got someone young and not someone who's tried with a bad record, uh, Kearney or Brown. He has served a solid apprenticeship and uh, good time spent at the Warriors before. Hopefully uh, we play the long game and give him time. Big question mark is, can he stand up to the owner and tell him to stay out of running the football team? Interesting point there, Sam. Um, And that reminds me that uh, Sam Hewitt will be uh, in charge of uh, Staffy's show this afternoon from 12 onwards. So uh, about an hour and 10 minutes away, Sammy Hewitt uh, has got uh, the controls there. Uh, Interesting too, uh, the story coming out of Russia about Brittany Griner, uh, the women's... A basketball player who has now pled guilty and, and is now awaiting a sentence over there and uh, of course it's all cut loose on, this, on the basis of the, that. Uh, she uh, of course uh, should get some sort of special treatment from uh, Joe Biden and the, 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 all the politicians in uh, the US trying to do deals etc, prisoner exchanges and um, you know that, it's an interesting point of view. Um, she She gets some sort of status of course because of who she, uh, who she is and what she's achieved She said she never meant to break the law Or upset anybody But fact to the matter as she did um, the, the the one that really did irk me the other day Is when I, I read uh, from uh, A statement from uh, A female basketball coach in the United States Who said uh, If this was LeBron This would have been well and truly sorted by now If this was LeBron Now here's the thing for me I totally disagree with that That to me is uh, quite a sexist statement Quite a sexist statement um, and it's sort of intimating that it's because it's a woman that they'll do nothing about it. Absolute, complete, nut of crap. Uh, the other thing is, you think if, if it was LeBron James, who wouldn't do it in the first place, uh, if it was LeBron James, you don't think the Russians would like holding on to LeBron James? Goodness me, they wouldn't be trading him for nothing. Promise you that. So this is, uh, this is out of control, and I hope someone puts a lid on it very quickly and gets the r- realistic approach to it. Um, she broke the law. In a country where you're not in charge of the laws or the rules about the laws or the sentencing about the laws. She knew it. It's 1050 here on SCNZ.
3: Sport in our This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ.
1: The Loveracing.nz
5: update. Your home for everything Thoroughbred Racing. Visit loveracing.nz. racing's biggest fan. <laughs>
1: Mark Clayton uh, is uh, with us again this morning and to and Hastings, uh, the uh, venues to, for domestic racing uh, tomorrow. Wet tracks, I would imagine, Claydo.
9: Yeah, it's pretty hairy weather up here in Auckland today and I dare say uh, some of it would have made its way to Waikato but it'll uh, be good for crystallising the TL Moodoo Cup tomorrow. Um, loves rain on the day so it be very hard to beat Ace Lawson Walker, Ace Lawson Carroll. Uh, the Apprentice Rider for Danny Walker and Aaron Tata gives it a big show in the Moody Cup, and, gee, a jockey you want to remember from years ago, Smithy, J.F. Grills, oh, what a gentleman and a hard case he was, and the Memorial Classic goes around tomorrow at uh, Tarapa, and I tell you, the Moody people, they love winning this race, and former Moody boy, Andrew Forsman, he's got a huge chance of hot pinks, although, they tell me Joe Bell tipped it out on the show this morning, so he might have put the stopper on it, so at org as well. For the next one down the page uh, Bully Brook has got a good record at Taraba
1: Well if Joey tipped it out it probably will help the price because no one listens to Joey uh, but they do listen to you on the good oil uh, and, and that's for sure and I tell they tell me you got a good guest on tomorrow
9: Yeah well apparently they told me it was a real fate until he started uh, touring with you he got him into betting and watching races on his phone out the, on the uh, outfield but Kyle Mills rejoins us uh, tomorrow and he's doing a great job. He loves it and he knows the stuff too. And jump jockey Emily Farr, she's riding at Harbour on Sunday but uh, we managed to get her back in for a, uh, another show tomorrow after, boy, we, she wouldn't call a race last time but she said I won't call a race but I will sing a song and oh, I had us all in tears.
1: Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant, I Look forward to that tomorrow afternoon and any little snippets you can provide before the, the betting on those New Zealand races are uh, very, very well received. Pip Morris joins us uh, as well after a busy day calling Greyhounds uh, yesterday at Cambridge. Uh, Pip, uh, they're running around again today at Addington and Palmerston North. Good
13: morning, Hugh Smithy. Yes, they certainly are. And I quite like the dog in race number one at Palmerston North. Big time, mocky Out in box eight. Made it my best bit of the day. He's at $3.00. And on the sports side of things, maybe for the cricket, there's not been too much on them, but there has been $786 on the black caps, head to head at $1.19, for someone willing to take that. And also in the backing black promotion that we've got with the All Blacks, 60% of the winning team and margin bets are on the All Blacks 13 plus against Ireland this weekend. And a couple of nice NRL bets as well. $1,000 on the Eels, 19 plus at 2 dollars $4,000 on the Knights, head-to-head at two fifty-five, and lastly, three and a half grand on the Dragons to cover the two-and-a-half-point start at $2.45. So, really nice weekend to look forward
1: to. Sports and might all be inside, but the weather currently at the moment. Good on you, Pip. Uh, you stay uh, nice and safe and dry. You need that voice uh, for calling those greyhounds, so uh, look after yourself and have uh, a lot of uh, fun over the weekend. It is uh, coming up to the 11 o'clock news uh, We've got David Bieleski After the break And uh, we're going to go inside uh, Hopefully some more information on uh, live Golf Certainly he'll have a look at uh, how New Zealanders are going At the moment too with Ryan Fox and Stephen Elker Both in action In current tournaments Scottish Open are being played and the US Senior Players Championship That's Golf After the Break And plenty more in the next hour
3: From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
1: Well, if you're a golf fan, there's plenty to keep your eye on this weekend and next weekend as well. In fact, almost every weekend, the way our players are playing at the moment, New Zealand's Ryan Fox is taking part in the Scottish Open amongst the star-studded field uh, after finishing second last weekend in the Irish, although he didn't have a great round, uh, Foxy, overnight, finishing four over. Uh, And, of course, Stephen Olker is always worth following because he's so damn good at the moment. Uh, He's competing in the Seniors Players' Championship where he's currently tied for sixth, 30 the last to finish at two under. It's our pleasure to welcome uh, David Boleski to the show for the first time. Uh, David is a golf writer and analyst for Wind Daily Sports, but he's also a Kiwi and he's been busy studying the field of the Scottish Open where Ryan Fox is playing. Uh, David, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for your time. Uh, the first thing I look at uh, when I see Lynx Golf is the wind, and we're going to see a little bit of that in the next couple of weeks.
5: We are, absolutely. Thanks for the, um, for the, the opportunity to, to uh, be on and uh, speak with you. It's an honour to be, be here. and. Um, Look, it, it is. It's going to be a windy rendition this year over in Scotland, um, and, and that is really where the teeth of this course comes in, is with the wind. So, um, yeah, look, it, it is going to be a case of we're going to see some big swings in terms of the draws. If we, we look at the scoring from that first round, those in the afternoon really, really struggled with their scoring. So um, majority of the leaders at the moment came from those morning tea time, so we may still see quite a bit of volatility in the lead board moving forward.
1: Foxy, uh, Ryan Fox had a bad stretch uh, through 13, 14, 15 uh, with back-to-back-to-back bogeys, which didn't uh, obviously help the cause, but uh, overall, take this round uh, away, Um, he's now ranked 46 in the world, which uh, gives him access to pretty much everything that he wants to play in, uh, uh, David, and 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 that's exciting for him, and you wouldn't write him off having a big charge next weekend either. No,
5: actually, I prefer him next weekend. I was in, I was in discussions with um, Brian Kirshner, who was on um, SENZ um, yesterday, I believe, and and pointed the fact that I, I much preferred him at the Open Championship to the Scottish. So the, the one, I mean, don't get me wrong, Ryan Fox had an absolutely knocked the light, lights out. Yeah, he's been absolutely incredible. Um, the, the one area of his game where he can get a little wayward is off the tee. And with this setup up that we have at the moment at the Renaissance course in North Berwick, um, there are some narrow few ways and there's some really thick life if you if you are spraying a bit. And, and that's just the nature of Ryan Fox's greatest strength, which is um, his incredible driving distance. We look at next week, St Andrews, lots of wide landing areas. Um, and his approach play has been fantastic. And for someone who hits the ball so long, he's got this incredible touch around the green and his putting has been absolutely on fire. Um, I think he's a really strong pick for the, the Open Championship last week. Um, with the Wynn Daily team, I was pointing them towards... Um, Last week, that he was he was valued some in some bookmakers at 150 to one, and that was just absolutely um, insane value for for the number of top tens that he's had in a row uh, this year. So I was pointing him towards that, and and of course after the opening round of Irish, that's that's long gone. It's been cut into 80s and and 70s and 60s and
10: other places.
1: Yeah, interesting actually, and there are plenty of markets around top tens and things which you would imagine would be quite attractive uh, for Ryan Fox in that situation uh Olker, uh, also david has had an incredible run you talk about a, a golden year um it's just been mind-blowing just how good he's been and here we go again another uh key championship the senior players championship uh, and another very good first round keeping him right in contention four shots behind uh, alex chaker
5: it's it's incredible isn't it i mean he, he is on just an amazing run at the moment um it, it was interesting because he's been playing his trade on the Corn Fury until he met he, uh, the age of 50. So yeah, I guess it, it's a change of perspective when these players move to the Champions Tour, right? Because now he's he's one of the young guns. And actually, he's, he's still got, you know, in comparison to the other players on the Tour, he, he's still got quite a bit of driving distance and, and he's ranking really well in terms of the driving stats at the moment on the Champions Tour as well. So um, it, w- it was interesting in the lead-up. In, in sort of August of last year, he's, he started to... Perform a little bit better on the Corn Ferry Tour as well, and I wonder if that was him sort of churning up to get into the Champions Tour. Because since he's he's then made that step, um, once he once he's reached 50, um, he's been absolutely fantastic, and he's really, I mean, he's he's completely dominant, which is amazing. Um, but you know, full credit to him. You know, you look at some of these other players like Patrick Harrington or Miguel Angel um, Jimenez, who. Uh, you know, no offence to Stephen Alka, but before joining the Champions Tour, have had a more prestigious career um, as a professional, you know, and he is easily um, the the top of the charts at the moment on that tour. So, no, he, he's been an um, amazing follower and, and we can be very, very proud of him.
1: OK, David, let's uh, talk about the other thing, which is rearing a very, very ugly head at the moment, and that is Live Golf and what it's uh, effectively doing to the golfing world in terms of dividing it now, you lived in Dubai for eight years. Um, you know, uh, the spotlight recently has about uh, been uh, people trading blows. Really good you know, former teammates, former great mates uh, trading blows, very, very publicly. What are you seeing uh, about this, and where do you think it's going to end?
5: Yeah, look, I, I just think it's incredibly. Sad for the the game of golf, really. I mean, look, as you, as you mentioned, I grew up in Dubai, and I I had the opportunity when I was there to that's where I where I fell in love with golf, and I had the opportunity to work on some of the local tournaments there um, through the formerly the European Tour and then eventually the DP World Tour. Um, you know, one one thing one thing I guess that's getting missed in this conversation at the moment is that there there are some interesting kind of geopolitical. Battles that happen in this area between, say, Dubai and Saudi Arabia, neither of them are really going to want to lose face on this issue. And um, Dubai is obviously tied in with the European Tour, with the GP Dubai Ports um, World Tour um, being the title sponsor and, and having just poured in a, a huge amount of money into into the game. Um, the, the the risk that I see with this is that Live Golf at the moment has an unsustainable business model. They 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 have an endless bottomless of cash that they can throw into the game. However, they're also liable to whatever Mohammed bin Salman then decides to do. If he gets bored with this and he just pulls the plug, that money's gone. And and they, the amount of money that they're offering at the moment is not sustainable in the world of professional golf, just given the depth of field and the amount of people who watch. Um, so because of that, you know, I see I see a potential risk where if he does suddenly pull the plug, it could leave this vacuum in professional golf that we haven't seen before and it, and it could be incredibly disruptive, um, in terms of the, you know, the standard order of things. I, I think the the one thing that Liv needs is is they do still need these marquee players. You know, other than Justin Johnson, it kind of has been almost regarded as a feeder to a between the DP World Tour and the Champions Tour. I mean, it is these guys who are sort of at the end of their prime, and and they don't want to compete anymore. Um, they they aren't as competitive on those those main PGA tours and, and DP World tours. So, um, you know, and and you, you can see, you can understand for some of these players. Like if if you take someone like Richard Bland, you know, who um, is an English journeyman, finally only only got his his um, first win in his late forties. Um, you know, for someone like, like him. You can understand the appeal of going and, and making the substantial amount of money on offer because that secures them for life and, and full power to them. Um, you know, for me, the, the bit that's frustrating is when those players then also want to come back and play on the DP World Tour or play on the PGA Tour when and if they choose. You know, that that's not what it's about. That's not growing the game. They're, they're, they're doing what's in their best interest. And my perspective is, is if you want to go, go, but don't bet. Don't expect to come back and be able to eat your cake too.
1: It's so well financed. There's so much money backing it at this stage, and as you point out, it that, that might be a temporary thing. Um, that they don't have to worry about television rights income as such. Um, but they still need don't they still not need a broadcast partner as such to have credibility?
5: I guess. I mean, look, I, I've been tracking. I've been tracking the number of people who've been watching on YouTube, and I mean you think this is this is the moment is being streamed free of charge on YouTube, right? So the the last tournament seven hundred thousand odd people watched the final round on YouTube. But when you put that into perspective on like a standard PGA tour event, one broadcaster in the States will have two million people watching the final round on Sunday. So they they're not getting the viewership and they, and that is because the players but also it's not appealing. You know, as a as a fan and, and you know you you know you can speak for yourself, Smithy, but for, to me as a fan, I want to watch the best in the world compete at these historical courses that, say, Tiger Woods have won or that Mark Amira has won or that Jose Maria Alathabo has won on. You know, so some of these legends of the game have this history and prestige and this legacy, and that's the thing that Liv can't buy, is they can't buy some of these tournaments. They can't host a tournament at the Memorial. They can't have the Scottish Open. They're kind of these no-name events. And, and as a fan... If if a guy who's winning a golf tournament is earning two million dollars, or if he's earning four million dollars, that's that makes no difference to me. Like both of those numbers sound like big numbers to me, and I don't I don't really care. That's not the appeal. Um, the the appeal for me is is the history and the prestige that comes with some of these tournaments, and who's going to add to their legacy. And and that's the one thing that the PGA Tour and the DP World Tour do have and live won't be able to buy unless they bought one of these tours outright.
1: Yeah, interesting. Uh, what will be also interesting this week is when the pairing, well, early next week, when the pairings come out for the opening two rounds of the Open Championship, mm. because it is significant this time around, David. It is the 150th. It's going to be marred with, um, mm. with a little bit of animosity, I fear. But uh, when we see who, like McElroy, is playing with, uh, for instance, uh, being one of the most outspoken of the group, Justin Thomas as well, uh, there could be some frosty pairings, some, uh, some quite cold atmosphere around some of these groups.
5: They they could be. I don't think the R and A would be outwardly, you know, they they've they've got kind of a prestigious reputation. I don't think they're outwardly gonna be going to trying to create those rivalries and, and put players between groups. Um, for for me, you know, in terms of my analysis and what I do with the Wynn Daily Sports team, um, where the tea times becomes really interesting is that I'm always looking for an edge in terms of where the players are teeing off and the weather draw, for example. And especially especially in Scotland, you can see these big swings where you know, if the afternoon tea times on the Thursday have light ones and then the Friday morning it's going to be soft wet and wet and still, you know, they, they can pick up the significant edge over the other group. So that, that's where the tea times become really interesting for me and you can get an edge um, in terms of these markets. But um, yeah, look, I, I, I don't think in terms of the hearings there'll, there'll be much animosity. I mean, we, we've seen these players sort of bump shoulders a little bit in terms of... Um, the, the US Open, you know, where they were allowed to play and and that all went fairly smoothly for the most part. Um there was a there was a few frosty press conferences. Um but, you know, all that I think is doing for fans is just further disenfranchising them from these guys. And and you know, it, I as I said I can understand why some of them have gone over to the to the Live Tour. Um but when you're watching and observing them in these press conferences you know, you do get the vibe that these are kind of the, the bad guys, you know, like and they're, they're the ones who are, are deserting the main tour of golf and um, they're, they're not doing themselves any favours by any means.
1: So, and those sorts of people in the past uh, have not fallen uh, into favour with uh, the people at the Masters, the Green Jacket Brigade, David. So uh, it's mm. a little bit of time before decisions have to be made because this is a tournament where invitations are actually sent from uh, the, the Masters people. What do you think their stance will be?
5: Um I, I think that they will they've got time on their hands, right I mean after this this next major at the open next week, we've got the nine month break until the masters next year and, and the the problem for the live guys is the world ranking points at the moment because the live Tour the the rounds are only fifty four holes um, and and there's a process in terms of actually making an application to the official world golf rankings um, in terms of earning points for these events. Um, that application, I understand, has been made, but it's, it's like a year process for that to kind of happen. So all the time that these guys aren't playing on main tour events, the, their world ranking is going to drop fairly steeply. Um, and you know, you'll find that many won't actually be in a position to qualify for the Masters, who are currently on the list tour. Those who I think have won it before will absolutely be invited back. I think that that it would be. Um, well, I mean, it's a, it's an unprecedented time in golf, but I think it would be unprecedented for them to not invite back a previous champion of the Masters. Um, but I think with the world ranking points, you know, some of these issues may just take care of themselves over the next few months. Um, and, and the Masters, as I said, they've got time. They may just sit back and just see how things unfold. I, I do expect after this Open Championship, I think that we'll likely get another raft of names going to live for... I think that's quite likely. I think... You know, we've, got, we've just been through this kind of fantastic stretch for golf fans of three months and, and four majors um, and some other really prestigious tournaments in between. Um, and, and then after this major, there is kind of a lull until April next year um, of the Masters, and there's, there's no majors in between. So I, I think if you were a player who was perhaps considering moving over, you've seen some of your friends go over to the Southern Tour, you know, you may just wait until that last major of the year um, you know, focus on competing, and those don't get distracted by the, the hoopla that's going to kind of come from from making a move. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised in, in the follow like following the the Open Championship, it's another more names are released.
1: Uh, interesting. Uh, David, Hey, it's been an absolute pleasure getting to know you mate and, uh, and uh, your views yeah. on golf. Uh, we'll certainly be uh, ringing you again, don't worry about that, particularly uh, as early as uh, late next week when uh, the Open gets uh, into full swing as to say, and that's a bad pun for a golf, but here we go. David uh, Bileski, uh, golf writer and analyst for Win Daily Sports, uh, thank you so much for your time this morning. Uh, enjoy the remainder of the Scottish Open and uh, yeah, the, the Open Championship, so unique, the old course. Uh 150th edition. Fantastic. Thank you, mate. Appreciate it.
5: Appreciate it, Smithy. Thank
1: you. Cheers, cheers. Uh, David Beliski there, um, and uh, honestly, uh, with some pretty considered opinions too. I, I will add, um, not jumping into the deep end and and just waiting to see how things uh, play at this point. Unlike some of the players who uh, hammer and tongs at each other, and it's not good. And death threats, actually, as well. From for uh, Graham McDowell, that that is pretty ugly. That is ugly. Death threats for a sportsman because of uh, an option he takes. That's not on. 11.19 here, SENZ. 11.24 here on SENZ, and every uh, week at this time on a Friday, we go into uh, the greyhound racing industry just a little bit deeper, and we're doing that this morning uh, with Deb Edlin, uh, who is a trainer out of the Central Districts area. Uh, Very pleased to welcome uh, you to the show. Deb, good morning to you. Good morning to you,
2: Smithy. Hey, look, uh,
1: tell us a wee bit of. Well, how can you help? You can tell us by where you're based, uh, the size of your operation, etc., and uh, your greyhounds of note at the moment. That would help for a start.
2: I am based in Shannon um, and have been training here since 2009. Um, I currently have two dogs racing because I'm winding down. Um, I'm rapidly approaching retirement. So um, I've cut the numbers down over the last couple of years. I have two racing, two ready to race, two retired.
1: Okay, so uh, Deb, tell us how you first got into it. What attracted you uh, into the industry?
2: Um, I had no intention of joining the industry whatsoever. It all happened by coincidence. Um, My partner... uh, had been involved in greyhound racing with his grandfather as a teenager. Mm. Uh, My family had been involved in thoroughbred racing, and we had a number of friends that were trainers, track riders, um, cousins who were trainers, all sorts of people involved in in the thoroughbred side of racing. Um, I never, ever entertained the idea of becoming a greyhound trainer, and I came, I made that switch from education, so... Um, hubby came home from work one day and said, how would you feel about taking a share in a racing greyhound? And it sort of came out of the blue and I said, well, convince me that this is a good idea. He put his case and I said, well, if that's what you want to do, let's do it. So we purchased our first dog, a quarter share in our first dog, and um, it just escalated from there. So that first dog was injured twice during his career. The second time he was injured, I took him home with us and rehabbed him back to the track and applied for a trainer's license, and the dog we first owned became the dog I first trained um he died in old age from osteo, uh, sarcoma, and the rest is basically history i was obsessed brilliant
1: absolutely brilliant to the point now where you've got a facebook page called greatness um which is uh, it's about uh, I, I guess uh, informing people uh, about the industry and making them better aware of the industry but also uh, just to keep uh, people updated tell us a wee bit about that forum
2: It's an initiative I started uh, roughly five, six months ago now. Um, I saw a need to respond to the negative, um, often untruthful, press. Uh, All we had out there was a one-sided view, um, which was supported by some members of the media, and the view was negative, completely negative, and that's not the life I live. So I decided to take matters into my own hands and start to get accurate information out to the public. Um, We've now hit roughly 600 members um, from all walks of life, adopters, rehomers, trainers, you name it, they're all in there. Um, We have professionals on board as well. We have a number of vets and vet nurses in our membership. We have... um, A member from the SPCA, we have a wide range of views and we discuss everything from birth to death. The only thing we don't discuss is uh, odds, racing itself. We don't have racing replay videos. We don't talk about
9: Mm.
2: who's going to win the last race at two, but everything else is on the table
1: fascinating uh that is greatness g-r-e-y-t-n-e-s-s uh, so look for that uh on the facebook page uh deb fantastic uh um sad to see that you're, you're bowing out in terms of training but uh, quite clearly you're going to be uh, very much part of it uh with this particular forum as well and uh nice to catch up with you and hear your enthusiasm thank you so much for your time
2: thank you smithy you, you have a fabulous
1: day and you too and you too indeed uh, deb edlin there out of shannon Lovely little place, Shannon, too. Uh, this little point between Levin and uh, Palmerston North on the back roads there and a hive of activity, I'm sure. So uh, that was Deb Edlin, and we'll have another Greyhound Racing personality next week uh, around the same time on the same day, Friday. Uh, we're heading into the news now, but we've got 100 bucks to give away just after that to you guys and gals. If you're interested in uh, calling 0800-150811, opportunity for you to pick up 100 bucks from the TAB to spend over the weekend.
9: Smith's had a good match here. stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his
4: job.
12: Yeah, it's time to pad up and grab your bat one more time this week on SNZ Mornings here with Ian Smith and producer Logan. Smithy, of course, had another stumping yesterday, so we're up to $100 there in the TAB bonus bet. That is up for grabs. That's what you could win today. Smithy, joining us first at the crease, we're going to H-Town, Hamilton, Jade. Come in, mate.
8: Hey, guys. How are you?
12: Yeah we're good Jade, we're really good uh, and uh, looking forward
1: to perhaps giving you the hundred bucks, I know this is uh, the line's lit up so you uh, managed to get to pole position very skillfully. so congratulations on that um, Logan, what are
12: the subjects today please? The subjects for you today Jade and everyone else listening in if you want to play along at home tennis, golf and basketball, take your pick Jade
8: uh, We'll have a cricket basketball today eh?
12: Oh love it <laughs> Okay, first question for you, Jade. The Auckland Tuatara are currently top of the NZ NBL standings, the Sales NBL. Which team is second? Uh,
8: That would be. Tuatara first will go with the uh, Shenz Nuggets, is it?
5: One of the worst things I have ever seen
7: done
12: on a cricket field. i love it. love to say it's the SNZ and Otago Nuggets. No, they're in the middle of the pack there. Smithy over to you. Right, okay. Um, it's not Manawatu. It is not
1: Hawke's Bay. It is not Otago. I uh, don't think it's, uh, it's no, nah, it's, it's not Franklin. I, I, I think I'm going to go with a bit of a surprise packet here because I, I think we talked about it with uh, uh, our basketball correspondents earlier in the week. I, I think it might be the Taranaki Mountaineers. One of the worst things I have ever seen
14: done on a cricket field.
12: (laughs) I like what you were thinking there, Smithy. It is the Nelson Giants. They're 8-4. They're uh, turning things around, looking pretty good there. So, uh, Hugh Bainan, if you're listening in there, I know you're pretty stoked about that, mate. Second question uh, to you, Jade. The NBA is in the middle of their free agency frenzy. Which team do the Utah Jazz trade Rudy Gobert to? No. Rudy Gobert.
9: yeah
12: I'm going say the Timberwolves that's a couple of chips down to make it right in the slot and away it goes was that an out and out guess there Jade um,
13: just-
12: Stab in the dark, mate. <laughs> Love it, bro. That that's, that's great stuff from you. Of course, uh, Rudy Gobert. Uh, the player famous for rubbing his hands all over the reporter's mics while making fun of COVID. And then two days later, the whole league shut down. Uh, last question. Everything's still on the line there. You're looking good here, Jade. The Golden State Warriors are the current NBA champions after beating the Boston Celtics in the finals last month. How many NBA titles has the franchise, that's because they've changed their name twice, or, yeah, uh, how many NBA titles has the franchise won in their history? I
8: know they won a few way back wins.
9: they got seven.
13: Mm.
12: Oh, ho, ho, ho. That's a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes cold, calculated, precise. That is you, Jade, from Hamilton. Well done, mate. The $100 TAB bonus bid is all yours. Awesome.
8: Cheers, guys. Cheers
12: to
1: that. Yeah, congratulations to, uh, to you, Jade. Uh, I wouldn't have got the last one um, and probably wouldn't have got the other one either. So you would have nailed me anyway. Um, but I, I'm glad that you've won it by getting the right answers rather than me just getting the wrong ones. So, hey, enjoy the 100 bucks. Um, and invest uh, it wisely mate uh, as well and uh, turn it into 500 that would be absolutely fantastic have a great weekend watching sport as well and to the other people who called and missed out this morning, we'll be back on uh, Monday morning with uh, 50 bucks because Jade took the hundy all the best mate, all the best um, stay on the line, Brian will get your details too just by the by uh, we'll come back uh, with Greg O'Connor very shortly um, and we we'll are try and squeeze a couple of texts in if we possibly can, it's getting a bit tight from the harness racing industry as uh, we end the week on air. Uh, Greg, uh, headquarters in Christchurch, pretty busy over the weekend as per the norm at this time of the year.
14: Yeah, morning to you, Smithy. Uh, It is uh, Friday night action again tonight at Addington Raceway uh, and Sunday as is uh, the case for the next couple of months. Uh, last week we had a bit of luck with the tip smithy, so I'm um, quite happy to uh, to roll into this week and, and try and find another couple for you, and there was a little bit of value about them now, my moment's now around 6 or $7, uh, I mentioned young Sam Thornley, he's just flying at the moment, Mikey McGuire was a similar type of price. So uh, yeah, Addington tonight, J.R. Bromack was a winner last week, he didn't get there by much, but... He's only had two runs in the last two years, Smithy, and he, he definitely will be improved from that. So I think J.R. Bromac can, uh, can go pretty close. And another horse I like tonight is Maui. Now, it's off the front in the trot race number six, horse four. If Maui's able to find the front and dominate, uh, I, I think he can take some beating in that too. So I think it's race five, number four, race six, number four, uh, the two best bets. Smithy, um, I'm doing it really hard at the moment. I've found uh, my way over to Queensland. I'm standing on the Albion Park track because it is the TAB uh, Constellations, their big carnival. And tomorrow night, mm. they have a couple of huge races. Uh, they have a, a race called the Rising Sun, which has uh, two three-year-olds in it and a mare. The race won last year, uh, by Amazing Green. Now, the three-year-olds draw one and two, and the, the only mare in the race draws Barrier 3, uh, Ladies in Red. Now, she'll be the favourite for the race. She's trained by Emma Stewart, and she'll be hard to beat. But I'm tipping a horse called Better Eclipse, uh, number 13. So it's race eight, number 13. Horse at one, uh, the Chariots of Fire around at Manangle is uh, trained by Jess Tubbs and her partner, Greg Sugars, who's the gun driver, outstanding driver. Outside second row won't be easy, but Sugars will put this horse in the right spot. It's around 7 or $8, so uh, I think it's terrific each way in the big, uh, the big rising sun here at uh, Albion Park on Saturday night.
1: So uh, you visited the Breakfast Creek Hotel yet, Greg?
14: Um, yes, Smithy, yesterday was my first day, and it'd be fair to say, um, yeah, it's quite a nice establishment, yes.
1: <laughs> Absolutely a, a fantastic establishment, a uh, real hive, uh, I, I've got to say, Greg, so does that mean you, you won't be with us on uh, Saturday, on Sunday at uh, midday for Trotstalk?
14: Uh, I'll have one wee segment there with Michael Guerin, who's back in town, so, uh, yeah, I'll cover what happened on Saturday night out here of uh, Albion Park. We'll have a good look at Addicton on Sunday too and try and find some winners uh, for you. Last week we had Terry Schmiel on. He drove two winners. Uh, Sam Thornley drove another winner in Luminite who will be hard to beat again uh, this weekend. So, uh, yep, I'll be on there uh, for one segment. and. Next Wednesday, Smithy, I might go to the Breakfast Creek Hotel prior to going to the State of Origin and uh, watching the Decider at that wonderful venue, Suncorp. So, uh, yep, I'm doing it tough, Smithy.
1: Yeah, you're living the dream. You're living everyone's dream, Greg O'Connor. Enjoy uh, Queensland, enjoy Brisbane in particular. Uh, enjoy the, the the trotting in the rugby league, mate. We'll, we'll speak again shortly. Thank you very much for your time.
14: Yeah, good on you, Smithy. Cheers.
1: It is uh, Greg O'Connor there live out of uh, Brisbane 11.47 here on SENZ Uh, We're going to finish the show a little bit earlier today Because we're going to try and get to that uh, Warriors press conference live for you And get some uh, direct input into uh, the afternoon show So we'll finish a little bit early Which means we'll take this break And when we come back a quick chat with our afternoon host, Sam
12: Sorry about the noise My neighbour's sanding his deck My motto, don't work on your deck Play on it Life's good with a Trex deck. Low maintenance with a 25-year residential warranty. Trex, the world's number one decking brand.